Welcome to the Difference Makers podcast presented by Waterproof. I'm your host, Justin Tamani. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of the top coaches, brand managers, and athletes on earth. From starting out to where they are now, we'll explore the journey of how they became a Difference Maker. Before we keep going, do us a favor, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to hear more from the Difference Makers. All right, guys, we are live. This is the Difference Makers podcast. My name is Justin Tamani. I'll be your host today. Today we have with us JP Aaron Sebia. He is a former Major League Baseball player, and he currently is working with the Miami Marlins and the TV and the radio broadcast. So, JP, thanks for coming out and uh, joining us for the podcast. You got it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, I said you're with Miami, but where are you right now? I'm in Nashville, actually. Okay. Uh, my fiance lives in Nashville, and and so season ends and came up here and got to I'm going to be here all off season with her. And then, you know, they have those airplanes that make it a little <laughs> bit more accessible to go back and forth. So it's uh it's, you know, not the easiest thing, but you got to make it work. Right on. And have you been enjoying the playoffs? Do you, do you actually watch baseball outside of broadcasting? Yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm honestly, maybe when I, when I got done playing, I was a little not, not upset at the game, but it's more like, all right, I just wanted a break. You know, you've yeah. done it since I was three years old. And so I didn't follow it as much, but now I actually really enjoy it. And especially doing what I do, you know, you try to learn even from the broadcast guys, you, you listen to how they talk about it, you know, either the pregame, the postgame, during the game, whatever it may be. And then I'm watching the game as well as just a baseball fan. So uh, it's been fun to watch. I mean, the Braves have been uh, fun to watch, I think, too, as well. They've, they've been exciting. That's that series with the Dodgers, you know how that goes. And then Houston and Boston. So it, it's, I, I I love it. I uh, it's something now that I appreciate more than I used to when I was playing and when I got just got done. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you how was that transition from playing on the field to getting into the booth? Was it a slow transition? Was it something that you knew you wanted to do? You know, it's funny. I almost didn't want to do it in the sense of I hated the media. Like uh, when I was playing, I was like, man, these guys kind of are clowns in the, in the way they went about their business. And, and then I was a person who could always speak uh, well. And, you know, as a catcher, you really do know the game, the intricate parts of the game in and out, right? You have to know everything as a catcher. It's, you have to know the bullpen, you have to know the pitching staff, you have to know the defense, you have, to, and obviously I was a hitter. So you have to know hitting. So you, you really have to deal with every facet of the game. And so when you have that knowledge and you can kind of talk, you can, talk about it and explain it and be concise with it. Uh, that's where people started asking me, Hey, do you think you want to do this? And at the beginning I was a little reluctant and then more and more I started enjoying it because I figured, you know what, I can be a kind of a voice of, of, you know, that what I would have wanted, you know, and, and it's, it's, I think you have to be able to break down people um, and when they're doing bad or whatever, but it's, it's just, you know, still keeping the respect of guys watching the game, but also, you know, telling the truth. And I just think, you know, that was really something I take into consideration when I've done this is like, Hey, I'm going to be honest. I'll be credible. And I'll also have the opportunity to have guys ask me like, Hey, what, you know, why did you say this? Or why did you say that? So I'm always around for guys to be able to ask me questions um, and be accountable for what I'm saying. And then when you say those guys, you mean the players on the field or just everybody in general? I mean, those the players on the field more than anything, yeah. right? And that's, a, that's the one thing I think as, as players, a lot of people get upset because it's like, you know, in the media, you're, you're paid to give your opinion. But as a former player, I take a lot of pride in my opinion being accurate. And that's where conversations happen with players where I'm like, hey, you know, Brian Anderson, I'm talking about you on the pregame. Like, this is what I think. Tell me what's what you're doing. What adjustments are you making? And so that when I'm speaking, I'm speaking through the player and not just, you know, spitballing stuff out there where as players, you all you read it, you see it, you watch it and you sit there. And sometimes a lot of times you're like, and that's not the truth. And so that's one thing I always wanted to make sure is is like really taking a pride in in being accurate in the things that I'm saying on the pre and post game show or in the radio, whatever I do. Yeah, I respect that a lot because you're not just saying it just to to get a rise out of people or you know or get a little clickbaity with it. So that's good. Cuz did you run into that as a player? 
Oh yeah, for sure. And I think in Toronto, I mean, you know, the, the media there is a little tough. It's, it's a big market and you know, you people, my first interview actually in the big leagues was a, a person, I won't say his name, but it was a person interviewing me and he had a microphone, right? And so he's holding up this microphone and at the end of the, the interview, he puts it in his pocket. So I think the interview's done, right? Like I think what we're talking about is off the record. And uh-huh. then literally the headline of the article was the last things that I said after he had put this away when we were talking and I'm thinking, man, that's, it's kind of shady. And so that's how I started, you know, that's how, that's how I started in the big leagues uh, in one of my first interviews. So, you know, you, you learn, you learn that these guys try to have to make something interesting, but also now being on this side of it, you know, do you blame people? Not really because you have to, they're trying to make a name for themselves and everybody, you're either the guy who's like the one who bashes players and loves to, you know, bash guys and create issues, or you're somebody who's maybe in between or, or somebody who just is like kind of on one side, but I just think that, you know, I understand it now more than I used to, but before I used to be upset because you, you think that people are just trying to lead you into, like you said, the clickbait or getting that reaction that that you're trying to hold back, but they get it out of you, and then all of a sudden it's a big ordeal. Do you find that guys now are more aware of that kind of thing like and are, and are more closed off to media? A hundred percent. Because of that kind of stuff? Yeah. hundred percent. And I think, too, you know what's hurt? Sports and, and media, it, obviously COVID has, has been brutal for in general, but now before you used to be able to come into the clubhouse and we used to be able yeah. to come into the clubhouse, have those conversations, talk to guys and really kind of have that face to face. Now you're not allowed in that clubhouse anymore and you're allowed, you know, on the field, but to have a little bit of a conversation, but now that now that's different now you're even creating a bigger separation right where before that that was a big part of of that you know player and media you know coming together now they don't have to there's no so players are even more like good i did i don't want because the truth is is you don't want them in your clubhouse anyways because that's where it's kind of your home right it's kind of your second home but now it's created even more because they don't have to really have those conversations because you're really getting a manager on zoom and you're not having to have those conversations. So I think I think it's becoming even more of a gap. But yeah, I mean, social media, people are starting to understand more, obviously, the downfall of it, uh, what it can create, the negative publicity it can create. And um, and I think obviously now people are more like shut off to it. Yeah. At Like I'm reading headlines today, just kind of scrolling through some stuff real quick. And it was like, man, they, they literally just posted this with no context, no information, just to like bait out this one player. And it was just, you know, it wasn't even a quote. It was like, this might have happened. And it was like, social media is so quick to just jump on these little potential clickbaity things. And I look, I started just reading the comments, which I never do. And I was like, oh, there's no context to these. And now thousands of people are all just speculating. And it's just like to get that engagement. And that drives me nuts. Well, I mean, I was one of the players in the forefront of that in Toronto when I went out there and I said some things about the media members of like that. I didn't, I mean, I didn't really have anything good to say about them because these people, one of them was, you know, had cheated the game and things. And I mean, it's public that I, what I said. Yeah. And then, you know, the next day it was like, it went from me being like this media guy. Cause when I was a player there, you know, I, I did everything, community service. I was, I won the Roberto Clemente award. I won all these different things of what I was, the human being that I was away from the field. Um, but then when that happened, it was like the media, like switched it around and made me this monster. And I started seeing articles and I was like, wait a second. Now, now all these things are changing about me, but so you learn that they can make, they can create whatever they want. And there is really no accountability, right? There's no one that's governing it and saying like, Hey, you can't say this. You can't say that, you know, there's a freedom of the press. So, um, you know, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. You hope, you hope that people have more, I guess, self-worth. Like that's something that I told you, like I take a lot of pride in is being accurate. Um, 
you, you hope people have a little bit more respect for themselves and for the others. But unfortunately, there's people out there that really don't care and just want to get, you know, kind of their foot, their step forward in, in being that clickbait or that shock material, or whatever it may be. Just for people who aren't sure, can you quickly explain the Roberto Clemente Award? Because that's a pretty significant award in baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I was nominated for the Blue Jays and it was, it's, it's obviously somebody who, you know, represents what Roberto Clemente represented, which is selfless and somebody who gives back to the community and, and really, you know, embodies what it is to be a person that, you know, is selfless and, and wants to, to take care of others more than themselves and be an example and do things the right way. And so uh, that was something that, that I, you know, obviously it was a very big thing to me. Uh, I also won the hustle and heart award for the blue Jays, which was nominated by the media, which is, you know, funny how that changed from me being that yeah. guy. And all of a sudden them kind of getting on me, but you know, that's just, you just learned that, the media can spin it however they want. And unfortunately now in this day and age, like you said, it takes one second to hit Twitter and then it takes a few people to see it. Instagram, same thing. And then all of a sudden it's blown, you know, out of proportion. And then it's a big ordeal. Yeah. Cause you were in the first wave of active players during the kind of the new wave of social media, the new media, Twitter was like just becoming a thing when you broke into the league I don't even think Instagram was around yet. Like though you were in that first wave of like, you kind of paved the path for guys who, who are playing now of like how to interact and how to grow a following and, and, you know, grow your own brand. So how did you deal with that? And like, how did you deal with the pressures of that at the time? Well, you know, what's funny is that guys on my team were very like, you got to do this. You got to do this. And I, I was one of the last ones of, of the group of guys that were, you know, out in social media. Um, I was one of the last guys to kind of join where I was like, they're like, Hey, you got to join. You got to join. And finally I was like, all right, I'll join. And, and I did it, but I, I did it reluctantly because I, I knew that what I was signing up for in the sense of like, you're putting yourself out there now and you have to make sure that you can handle things because now what I realized in short time was not only do you get great comments, but you get a lot of bad comments. Yeah. And, you know, as a person who cared a lot, right. Like I was a person who call it, whatever, call it insecurities, call it um, ego, call it competitiveness, whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I hated to see negative comments about me. I hated to see people writing, you know, mean things and saying certain things and, coming after me as a player and all that stuff. And so then it almost became like an addiction, but in a bad way of like reading these negative comments. And then, you know, not only was I trying to compete against the best of the best on the world, I was trying to compete against them at the major league level. And then all these keyboard keyboard warriors, I guess is the <laughs> right way to say it of, of like trying to prove them wrong. And, you know, so they, it just became, you know, they were, I'd sit there at night and get upset about somebody who had nothing ever to do with my life. Yeah. But all of a sudden now I put myself out there and now these people, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't have it, I would have never dealt with that. And then I had it and I'm all of a sudden like, man, I'm dealing with all this negativity and it's like taken away from my life in a sense. Yeah. The Wadproof Pro experience contains hundreds of training sessions that will boost your progress, whether you're a beginner or a pro. Start your seven-day free trial now and get access to all of our top-level training programs. Search the Wadproof app or click the link inside this episode description to find out more. So how, you know, I kind of brought this, your conversation to, or sorry, how your conversation got brought to my attention is I saw you on a podcast that you talked a lot about your mental health and how you dealt with all of that. And how is it that, you know, your playing days or your, your game was impacted by social media and and how that made you kind of spiral did you were you able to talk to anybody at that time or you know because it was kind of new the conversation wasn't as open how did you deal with that and and your mental health and playing and the combination of everything well a lot of it i mean as a lot of guys do i feel like you internalize a lot of things and you just don't feel like talking about it and you you just you know in sports i think it, the, one of the biggest things is like hey you know, tough it up, tough it up, tough it up, and you'll get past it, you get past it. And you, you know, I can do that with a 
hurt shoulder or I can do that, you know, with a, a knee that's bothering me or a hamstring. But then what you realize is that you can't do that from with your brain. And, you know, a lot of times I, I dealt with anxiety. You know, you look back and there was a lot of things even as a kid where I used to I used to get anxious. You don't really think about it. You didn't know about it, what it, what it was or how you reacted to things. And that's how I reacted to things was was kind of uh, overblowing situations. You know, if I if I got a cough, I thought I was dying. I got you know, I thought I had cancer. I was in trouble. Like, if, you know, I was a hypochondriac. So um, and then all of a sudden now with baseball, you start worrying about all these things and trying to impress others and. Do, then all of a sudden now, you know, the anxiety amounts in a, in a different part of your life and you start to, you know, again, I was having panic attacks, worried what was going to happen with my career, you know, what, what worried, uh, well, how could I figure it out? Like, and, and you just, and all I was doing was like continuing because I was struggling. All I can do is continue to read like this negative feat. Like it was just constant negativity. And then, you know, we're all human. We all, you know, as much as you want to say like, oh, it doesn't bother me it gets to you, right? Like it does. Yeah. And so, you know, there was help, but at that point there really wasn't any, like, I guess that it wasn't as, as open as it was right now we talk about mental health and like guys can open up. Anyone can open up about like, you know, I struggle with anxiety. You see like Kevin Love talking about depression, DeMar DeRozan, like you're seeing all these people talk about things now in, in prominent places where people think like, Oh, you know, this person's bulletproof. They never deal with anything. Like, that's not true. Everybody deals with something. It's just, are they going to talk about it or they don't? And and that's where I think now getting help is a lot more of a less taboo thing to where back then it was like, man, I don't want to talk to the person that the Blue Jays employ yeah. because if I tell them that I'm having panic attacks, is he gonna, they're going to tell the, the team and then they have to make a decision on my career. And so, like... I'm not going to put myself out there and trust somebody that could possibly, you know, I'm going into arbitration. We're talking about millions of dollars. Is somebody going to want to put millions of dollars into somebody who deals with anxiety and put in panic attacks? Who knows? But I don't, I didn't want to deal with it. So I didn't talk yeah. to anybody about it. So at the time you didn't talk to anybody about it. You just kind of shut it out and let it kind of deal with itself. Um, when was it that you realized like, Hey, I need to talk to somebody about this or that you could go to somebody. Um, I would say it was later. So in 2015 is when I finally was like, I had a panic attack in spring training and I was like, you know, this isn't good. I need to, I need to figure something out. And I started talking to somebody and then I start, I got medicated. Um, yeah. I started taking at that point, I was taking Lexapro and it really started to help me. Um, you know, that's, that's something that really started to help me. And, and, uh, it, it allowed me to like not fixate on stuff because I think, you know, with anxiety, anxiety, just, it, it takes all your fears and just like zeros in on them. And then like, it's like the constant like chatter at that, that fear. And so I think, you know, the way it explained to me was Lexapro would allow me to have those thoughts, but not fixate them. It'll allow it to kind of roll off my shoulders a little bit more and be able, be able to be a little bit more even keel, which it did. And then, you know, I, again, I, I spoke about it publicly and, and then had some people talk, you know, write to me like, man, I deal with the same thing. How do you deal with it? And so just understanding too, that I wasn't by myself made me feel like, okay, like I am not crazy. Like I, this is okay. Like I'm, I'm not the only person that struggles with this. And you know, that, that allowed me to continue to move forward, but I really didn't, um, like sit down and get like real, real help until like during the pandemic, um, oh, really? where I, where I was like seeing a therapist every week and like really, because when you, you know, one thing you learn is like, you know, you can have the medication, you can do these things, but you still have to handle the situation, the things that you needed to, to kind of handle. And, um, you know, I think that sitting in the pandemic was by, you're by yourself, you're locked up. And I think, you know, you start to have all these thoughts and create, you know, things that pop in your head and you start to think like, Oh, this isn't good. And that's when I really started to, to see a therapist and like really working with somebody. Um, and that has helped 
uh, a lot because it just allowed me to really get those things out, talk about them, you know, hit them, hit them face on. And, and I think that's, you know, those are things when you have those conversations and the more we have them, the better it really is for people to move forward. 100%. Well, the reason, one of the reasons that, you know, I, I wanted to have this conversation so much is like I was mentioning, you had put something on your social media, you'd done another podcast and talked about this, but this was also something that I replied to you about that. I said, like, you know, I'm going through some stuff right now. And like, I really appreciated that you're putting this message out. You know, when you came up as a player, I was actually working at the stadium and you know, I was somebody that was like, I was, a, I'm a huge baseball fan and I, I really looked up to you and to see you put that out there and to be so honest about it. I was like, okay, like, yeah, the, you know, like I, I should do the same thing. And actually I started seeing a therapist fairly regularly after that for a little while. And I, you know, I really thank what you put out there to help me get through some of the stuff I was going through. So well, well, that I mean, appreciate it so much. <laughs> thank you too. I mean, that's a, that's a thing, man, as I think, and listen, like it's crazy because there's so many people that struggle with stuff and especially in sports, because a lot of times too, and this is where people like, you're just, you're, you're driven one way, right? Like to win, to win, to win, to win. Can't fail. Yeah. You can't fail. You can't fail. Even though you play a game of failure, like we're still competitive. Right. And so you, Oh yeah. You know, you, you get, you can get jaded because it also can like affect your normal life of, I can't fail on this part of my life. I can't fail on my relationships part of my life. Like all these different things that you put this pressure on it and it kind of really, uh, you know, it, it, it's not easy. And, and, um, you know, the more we internalize things, the harder it gets. And then I guess the more, and the flip side of that is the more you have the conversations, the more you talk to people, the more um, people open up about what they've dealt with, the better situations become. And that's where I think, uh, you know, we're talking to me is even therapeutic because there should, could be somebody that at some point watches this and says like, you know, I can get help. Like, again, I was like crazy against medicine. Like, I was like, I don't want to, I, I can do this. I can, I mean, I eat healthy and I train hard and I'll do this and I'll figure it out. And I was like, you know what, you know, I, I, it helped me. Medicine helped me. Yeah. Was there one thing that made you realize like, I, I need this support now? Was it like that one instance in spring training or was there something else that triggered it? Um, yeah. I mean, I would say, that, you know, over time, yeah. in spring training and then, you know, when you retire and you actually don't have that outlet that you used to have, then you really have to figure out like, dang, okay, now I'm struggling. I don't have a game to go to, or I'm like, it's just me and me. And, and I think that's when, you know, you start getting the thoughts in your head of like, I mean, crazy thoughts. Like, I I mean, stuff that popped in my heads of like, even like literally going like, man, I got a gun. Like I, I got a gun. I can do I can shoot myself if I wanted to. And you're thinking that you're like, man, what the heck? Why would I think that? Or just like, you know, these, it's like when you start to normalize, even when you're at a, at a building and you're at the balcony, you're like, man, what if I jump? And you're like, Oh crap. Why did I think that? Like, well, yeah. a lot of people think that you're not, doesn't mean that you're like trying to jump. Yeah. But it's just, but because you had that thought and no one th- like says like, man, yeah, you know, I thought that, uh, you start to question like, Oh crap, what does that mean? And you start the panic of, of what it could possibly mean. And so, you know, those are the little things of the conversations that, that I think that the more and more we have them, the better off we all become. Yeah, I, I agree. And did you see uh Dak Prescott? Did you see that little article about him today that he's been wearing? He's been writing on his wrist tape, ask for help. Oh no, I didn't see so, that. Dak Prescott, the quarterback for the uh, Dallas Cowboys, yeah. has been, you know, everybody like does a little something here and there, but on his, his white wrist tape, he's writing, uh, I think all season he's been writing, ask for help. Yeah, because I saw his brother had committed suicide, I'm pretty sure, right? Uh, that I'm I'm not well, 100% sure about, but. Let me, let me I want to be accurate of when I, I'm pretty sure that's uh, something like that. Um, but. That's that's something you know when you start to, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, and you know, again, those are conversations that I think need to happen, and and those are conversations you know, again, when you're struggling and you don't think that there's a way, like there's always a way, mm-hmm. and it might not be easy, 
it might not be, you know, pleasant, but there's a way and it's, and it's just continuing to push forward, push forward and, and work on it and work on it. And I think, you know, that's why medicine, I think medicine can, can help, you know, with people. I mean, I'm sure you saw the Drew Robinson the, uh, story. If you haven't seen that, you got to watch that. I got to check that out. He's a baseball player who tried to commit suicide. Oh, I did. Yes. Shot himself in the head and survived. And obviously yeah. he was a big advocate, but it's like, you know, this is a kid who was in the, like literally just in the big leagues and he was still playing and this is what mm -hmm. happened. So, you know, we all can get to these depths, but when we talk about it, I think that's what can help us get back out of those depths. Yeah. And he came back to play a bit too. Yeah. Yeah. He came back to play and then he, he ended up retiring and now he, he works for the giants uh, for, you know, dealing with a, you know, like a mental health coach in a sense. And mm -hmm. so it's pretty cool. Do you find that guys are, are more open to mental coaching today than they were when you were playing or is it still very taboo? No, I think it's, I think it's a lot more, um, like accepted and understood that everybody struggles and, you know, especially at that level where you're, you know, constantly like have, have somebody like on you. And it, again, it's, it's not just professional athletes, everybody deals with it. Yeah. Um, but I think again, more and more as, as these people who are public figures have these conversations and talk about and open up, then I think everybody else can kind of really understand that a they're not alone and b that there's a way to get help and and see like do it like actually take the step because it's it's uh could be daunting it could be scary you could think like man i don't want to something i don't want to admit something's wrong with me or whatever but it's like when you have those conversations and you start to realize like nothing's wrong with you you're actually normal and you have the same thoughts that everybody else it's just for whatever reason a certain thought tripped you up that didn't trip up somebody else, but another thought tripped them up that didn't trip you up. Yeah. Dude. The, and I, I can, I mean, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm just processing it. And it's like, yeah, I think like I've been in that same situation where it's like, yeah, like this little thing happened and it, and it stuck with me and something else just rolled off my back and it was just like nothing. But it could be the day, it could be the timing, it could be so many little things. And it's just how you let it impact you is is pretty significant. Yeah. And I mean, I think and this is what's crazy, too, is that then when you get into the fitness world, and it's kind of it's really why I like fitness so much. And uh, obviously, I think I want to be I want to be healthy and stuff like that. But why I love fitness is because it's really a battle of your own mind uh, a lot of the times. Right. And like, you know, I used yeah. to train olympically. Um, when I was, you know, playing mm -hmm. and I used to laugh because it's, it's crazy how powerful our mind is, but I can, I literally, when it got to putting on two plates, like I can, I can, I can get as close as I could to 225 and I'd put the chips on all that stuff. And all of a sudden I'd get the two plates and it was like, I would try to, I, I, I pulled high enough, but I, in my mind, I could not get under, I couldn't get under. And it yeah. was like, I'm watching video and it's like, dude, you're pulling this way high enough to be able to get under but i in my mind i'm like man i'm gonna it's gonna crunch me i'm gonna get hurt i'm gonna this and then it was literally like it went from me being at 215 or 220 to now 225 and it's like i'm i'm failing every time and that and then that like but if but if you know if i put 225 with just regular plates and i i'd pull it didn't notice and i'd pull it and catch it you're like oh i did it but i but that's the way that's how strong our mind is yeah it's all like what you perceive in that like that little that there's always that number like i know guys that won't lift certain weights they'll skip a weight to go heavier or make like a big jump to go heavier because they're like nah like i'll never lift 245 i'll only go you know 230 240 250 250 plus never 245 because that number gets in their head and they just they just skip it <laughs> It's uh, what the guy, one guy he's trained with is name is Charlie Patron. And he used to talk about like how we're when, you know, like Russian style that mm -hmm. he had a, a teacher who was like Russian and they would put plates and wouldn't tell you what it was, like wouldn't tell you the weight and you'd have yeah. to pull it and catch it. And, and because that's how, that's how powerful it is. Right. Like if, if, and even if you, let's say it was, 
you saw something that was 10 kilos and it said 10 kilos and it was 15 and you're, yeah. and you're pulling it and you're like, Oh man, this feels good. And you're like, well, it's not 10, it's 15. You're like, what, what? But that's yeah. how, that's how our brain is. Yeah. Sometimes it's just got to get out of our own heads in order to perform. Right. Uh, not sometimes, <laughs> like a lot of the times. <laughs> When you were when you were playing in your playing days, like what were those things that like helped you relax? Did you have anything that like you did that that kind of just allowed you to relax and kind of zone out? And maybe it was on the field, maybe it was off the field. You know, off days, you know, you would say I golf was something as funny as it is. Like golf was something that would that would help me kind of get away. Um, the tough part about baseball is and this is where i tell people uh with mentally that's why it's such a mentally like tough game is because there's times where you're playing 20 games straight so when you want that mental break there is no mental break you're like coming to the yard every single day right like for example in the nfl you play on sunday you got six days right to your next game hockey you, you don't play 20 in a row you have a few days off in between and basketball the same thing and so that's the tough part about baseball. It's like, I tell people like you just, it's like you're, you're underwater and you just want to come up from air for air. And they're like, well, no, cause you got 19 more games to go before you can like, and especially when you're struggling, when you're going good, listen, everybody's like, Oh, let's go to the field. You feel good yeah. about it. You're like, dang, all right. I want to play every day. But when you're struggling, you're like, God, I just want to break. God, I just want to break. God, I just want to break. And you know, you can't, you're not able to do that. And at that point, when I was playing, I think now I'm a little bit more, I would say, well-versed if I was still playing, but like understanding meditation, right? Like I was like, I, yeah. what is meditation? Now I think, you know, there's there's apps now that obviously you can meditate and do things every day or you, that's more of a conversation or, you know, whatever it may be for that person to have journaling, like all these different things now that I think are things that people are okay with speaking about or as opposed to like, like oh I don't, I don't meditate like what do, what do I look like like am I uh, you know some kind of like monk like no it's you know what I'm saying like now it's like yeah, yeah every, oh you meditate oh sweet so do I, I have well, what app do you you know it's just different yeah that, yeah that's a good point but I think also people don't realize how long you guys are at the park for so you're not just playing a game you're not just there for three four hours you're there for what time would you roll in for a seven o'clock start. One o'clock. Like, so you're there. For- yeah, one to like midnight, and it's and it's getting there, and it's like you get there, you work out, you eat. Now you're watching film, then you have meetings, then you have batting practice, then you're doing all your pregame stuff, then you're playing. You know, then after the game, you're eating, you're decompressing. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a full day of work like you said people don't realize you're you're there every single day early and if you're dealing with an injury or something then you're work you know you're doing your stuff to prepare so you can play that day and then you finish the game and cold tub hot tub whatever it may be and then pff, next day right back at it or travel yeah travel schedule is pretty grueling if you do that west coast trip yeah, to the West Coast to the East Coast or East Coast to West Coast. I mean, and it's usually they give you a day off, but it's still, you know, it's it's uh it, it, it's I'm not gonna say like, oh, it's so tough because at the end of the day, like we're we're flying on a private plane, we're staying at the nice hotels and we have good food and all that stuff. But you know, those are things speaking about food, like as as dumb as it may seem, like now out of once well, since I've been out of the game, like nutrition has become like so much more a part of the decisions being made on a daily basis, right? Like the energy of a single person can never beat the energy of together. Join hundreds of thousands of Wadproof community members worldwide and become better than ever. You can inspire others and get inspired through our user-centric content creation experience. This is your time to shine. Share your knowledge, skills, and energy with community members worldwide. Search the Wadproof app or click the link inside this episode description to find out more. When I was playing post game meal was like Chinese food one day and like Italian, like the next day. And like, you know, it was pizza and different things. Now, you know, pregame meals are, you know, grilled chicken, brown rice, veggies, salmon, like 
there was there used to be candy everywhere. There's no more, you know, like they they've realized too, like how important, like, man, wait a second, we're paying these guys millions of dollars. Yeah. It's like I got this super intense sports car. I'm not gonna be putting in 87, right? I'm gonna be putting in 93. And that that's and I think that's where they, you know, now even as much as that. And then when we talk about mental health, you start to learn about dieting and how important food and how food can you know make a difference in our life and our gut and all these different things that, that those are all things that now they have a real big onus on but before it was like man i'm you, you didn't think about that are teams providing like teams provide the food let's just say in the stadium but are teams providing like the nutritional support like the the kind of counseling towards like okay this is like a, your diet regimen this is your training regimen like I know there's trainers and things like that, but are there nutritionists on the staff? Like are those becoming more part of the, the regular conversation? Big time. But that wasn't, that wasn't like before it was like one person would show up once a month and like have a conversation or whatever. But now it's like the nutritionist is there every day yeah. and it's creating these meals and creating these things. And, you know, I, listen, also there's so much more, I wear the whoop, right? There's yeah. so much more technology of, instant feedback of okay mm-hmm. i have this what in my body you know glucose monitors all these different things that now you can actually test and get like instant feedback right but they can only control what you do in the field at the end yeah. of the day that's the truth right like when i go home i gotta be a professional and make my own decisions am i gonna go home and order a pizza at midnight after the game or am i gonna you know have yogurt and blueberries and and that's gonna be my like pre-bed room my pre you know bed routine or breakfast am i going to wake up and crush muffins and you know whatever or am i going to go and have a bowl of oatmeal with some berries and you know some avocado good fats and protein like it's all based when you're away from it but i think now because there's so much more information i think now guys are more inept to make better decisions right like i used to think like, man, I wasn't playing baseball as, and I signed him a first round pick. And like, I used to think like, okay, going to firehouse subs and getting a huge sub with Turkey and no cheese and some veggies. Like that was, that was great for me. And not that it's bad for you. It could be better than a better, you know, option, but it was like, now I'm like, crap. All right. Well, I'm going to make chicken and sweet potatoes and have, you know, brown rice or whatever, you know, all these different, I just, more knowledgeable now than I was before and not, and teams are spending more money on it now than they were before. And is that going to, is that trickling down into the minor leagues as well with how they bring players up in the development system? A hundred percent. So it's crazy too. Like the difference between the big leagues and the minor leagues were so, it it was so crazy to me to think like I was in big league camp, my first spring spring training ever, right? I'm in major league camp. You go there, you order. It's like, I want egg whites. Can I have oatmeal? I mean, the the spread is like nice, right? Like you're you're getting all the opportunities. You get, I went down to minor league camp and and I was like, Hey, where's the omelet maker? And where's the omelet machine? And they're like, that don't happen down here. They're like, (laughs) there's cereal. There's some bags of oatmeal, some yogurt. And like, that's and it was like okay well, they'll have pancakes out there with like a bowl of syrup and like very different right and like yeah post game in the in big league spring training you're having like a spread of like chicken and vegetables and carbs and fruit in the minor leagues it was like a lineup of subs and hey you know chicken salad sub tuna sub this sub and it's like hey sorry if you got here too late like all that's left is tuna you're like i don't eat fish like well you're gonna have tuna like it's just but now in the minor leagues man food is catered like for minor really so the dodgers with gabe kapler were one of the first like teams to really start spending money like all organic meals through the minor leagues everything um and then teams started really catching on to doing that because dude when i first signed uh, i went to short season a ball and my pregame meal used to be like Peanut butter and jelly and Oreo cookies. Jeez. <laughs> that, that, but that was that was what they supplied, right? Like unless yeah. I brought any other food, like that's what I was dealing with. And so um now, you know, those are getting catered, you know, good foods. Yeah. And they just announced that 
Major League Baseball is going to provide housing for minor league players this coming season as well, which is like they minor league players. Like if people don't know, can you give me a, a rough breakdown of like what a salary for a minor league player was like even five years ago, 10 years ago? Well, so, I, I mean, I, I always preface this with like, I was a first round pick. So I was very blessed. Like I had you know, made some money out of the draft, but I'll never forget this. Like I'm playing and I think my first two week check was like 475. So I was this making is a professional like, baseball player in the minor yeah, leagues. Yeah. In the minor leagues, I was making, I was making like, you know, 900 bucks a month. Now you have to pay for your own, you have to pay for your own board, your own rent, yeah. right? You got to pay for your own food away from the field. And then at the field, you had to pay a clubhouse manager. Let's call it at that level it was like seven bucks a day, but you had to pay him because he's the one that's, buying the turkey, buying the cookies, buying the bread, buying the peanut butter, right? So, like, you're still, in a sense, paying. And yeah. I was grateful that I was able to sign for a nice bonus. But the guy who, you know, signed for $1,000 was making under twelve grand a season. And that's for six months. He's making under twelve grand, And then – he has to pay. So like, man, I've, I've gone into condo, like apartments of guys that there'd be just blow up mattresses everywhere. Six guys in a, in a condo because it, that's how they could afford it. And they used to go and buy a ton of pasta because pasta was cheap. Yeah. Put like Parmesan cheese on it and all just like, that's what they would eat on. So like for me, you know, a lot of times I'd go with those guys to the, to the grocery store and say, Hey, listen, you cook good. You cook a meal. I'll eat at your house. I'll buy the groceries, just so like they can have something. Because it was like, dude, you're just you're just grinding. I mean, you're scratching through. Yeah. And uh, you know, now though, I will say that now that's changed, right? Like, obviously, housing is another step, and they've increased the pay a little bit. Which I, I mean, increased the pay a little bit. What are they making? Like sixteen grand in six months? Like, yeah. But at least now they're providing good meals. They're providing good food. There's a, there's a lot more things that they've done to make the right decisions to help people. But, you know, at the beginning, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. It's like minor league stories that I've heard from people over the years are just wild to me. Like you, you know, you, you sign as a professional athlete and it's just like, (laughs) here's some peanut butter and jelly. Like we'll see you tomorrow. Dude, and, and imagine, like, I went to University of Tennessee in the SEC, like, yeah. good program. We're staying at, like, Embassy Suites. We're, we're having, like, catered meals after games. Like, yeah. we have a sports athlete cafeteria. To when I sign, I'm in the middle of nowhere in the New York Penn League, and post game, they're bringing in the extra hot dogs and hamburgers that weren't sold during the game into the clubhouse, so that's what we could have after, right? And I'm going, <laughs> like, I'm going like, what the heck? Like I thought yeah. this was supposed to be, I, I just signed to play in the pros. Like college yeah. is way, way better than this. And you, I mean, University of Tennessee, Division One school, beautiful facilities. And like what these Division One schools are providing to their their athletes, their student athletes now is incredible. Oh, Seeing some of these walkthroughs. It's, I mean, you have nutrition fueling stations and like, I mean, yeah. you go on the spot and have, you know, whatever shake protein shake you want you go into the, the to the cafeteria for the athletes it's like unbelievable spreads of foods and and like unbe- i mean chicken steak like great carbs and they're nutritionists that are controlling all of this and like mm-hmm. every i mean the, the, the tennessee weight room it's like a dream right it looks like you're like dude this is like the this is like the taj mahal of like where i walk in and i'm like i can do every exercise on the planet here this is i'll sleep give me a cot and i'm good yeah but that's the stuff that they have now but they also those universities make a ton of money with football and you know different sports yeah now the other thing too is the universities are, are now able to in well athletes are now able to profit off of their name and likeness if you were playing now you could sign a contract with like a supplement company right yeah they could pay you out and you could be in the ncaa where in the past you couldn't no i i don't agree with it i don't think that it's good because 
a lot of people complain about, you know, a lot of the athletes complain about how much money that the, the school makes and how much, you know, they don't get a piece of the pie. Well, if you think about it, you really are because you, you're getting an education for free pretty mm -hmm. much. Right. And then I think that the NIL, when you're making money off the field, you know, it takes out a lot of, a lot of teams, right? Like you, Think about it. University of Alabama or Tennessee; these are college towns. Yeah. Well, people are going to make money off the field uh, because they're in a college town. But if you're in a big city, like where I'm from, Miami, like University of Miami, you think anybody cares? Like to that when you have the the Marlins, the Heat, the Panthers, you know, you have all these the teams, and it's like I'm a brand. Yeah. I'm not going to – the car dealer is not going to be like, hey, Joe Schmo, pitcher for the University of Miami, come to – they're no, they're going to be like, you know, Sandy Alcantara, who's the ace for the Marlins. Like this is who – you know, that's the difference. Um, and then the other part of that is when you talk about professional sports and making money for your name and likeness, there's unions. There's governing bodies of this, right? And so the – yeah. Well, what I don't like is in the major leagues, right, at the end of the season you get a licensing check. And that's all the money that's pulled together, divvied into the players equally, depending on time, right? So if you have a full year of service, let's call it $30,000, you get a check. If you have half a year of service, well, it'd be 15, right? But everybody, there's like a time for that. Mm -hmm. Because that allows everybody to get a piece of the pie. Because if not, if, it, if we just went off of, you know, Jersey sold, then the guy who was the 25th player in the roster would never make any money because of name and likeness, right? Yeah. So now in college, think about this. I'm the star running back, and I'm going against a scout team defense and blowing these guys' brains out every single day because it's like, dude, your job is to literally just pretend that you're the other team and you're just giving me work, so I'm blowing you up. Mm -hmm. And I'm making money, but that kid who just is getting dominated and crushed and is just a test dummy in a sense so that he can be in the, the practice squad and, and be a part of the – the program doesn't get anything. And that's where I think that there's a little bit of a separation on how, you know, things were done. That's a good way to look at that. Cause I, I never considered that side of the coin. I just saw it as being the opportunity for the athletes to potentially benefit off of themselves where in the past they had no opportunity to do that during their college years. But that's a good point. I didn't realize that the licensing thing was a, a kind of an even split pot across the, is it across the union or is it the team or? So each player, right? You're a union yeah. member. If, if Justin plays a full year in the big leagues yeah. and the, the full year licensing check, you know, after it's all the percentages are done, if it's mm -hmm. 30 grand, you make 30. If I got a full year to service, I, I made 30. It didn't matter if I hit a, a hundred with one home run, but I was on the season and the team all year and you hit 400 and you were the all-star and all stuff. Like you're going to make your money on what you do for a living. I'm not going to make as much as you, but the way it kind of evens out in the sense of at least opportunity is, is everybody gets the same like piece of the pie. Okay. I didn't realize that. That's, I mean, that's a good way of doing it, but that's, that's like the difference of having a, a very strong union and just kind of, changing the rules on the fly. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's anything governed, right? Like, I mean, that's the difference yeah. between having a, you know, kind of a governing body oversee something as opposed mm -hmm. to right now, it's just like throwing crap on a wall and like, okay, if it sticks, but if you think about it again, like you're a donor, you're a big donor at a big university. Yeah. Like I own a car dealership. What they did was allow kind of cheating in a way to become like okay because it's like yeah hey i'm gonna here take do this commercial so i can give you 10 grand for this commercial and it's like well am i gonna go to alabama where that that guy's gonna give me those 10 g's or am i gonna go to another school where i'm not gonna get that right like i i just think that they they opened up pandora's box uh and made it not what it's supposed to be about which for me college is like the one time where it's like everybody's together i didn't have money my roommate didn't have money we didn't have money we're all working together to try to win. We hang out together. And once you get to the pros, it's like, man, I'm 24 in the big leagues. This guy's 33 with six kids. This guy's 40. He's got his own family. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just different. Yeah. Would you say that there's a different sense of, like, team pride in university sports and in professional sports? A hundred percent. Not even yeah. – there's, like, 
I have a text message of 20 plus guys that I went to university with. I talked to maybe five guys that I played in the pros with. It's just, it's very different, right? It's, and it's yeah. very, it's, it's, there's still a lot of, I guess, clicky in the, in the good teams. You can try yeah. to keep differently, but like, you know, single guys are probably going to hang with the single guys and they're going to go out with each other. And then the married people are, you know, families are going to maybe do their thing. And then, now you put into also Spanish speakers are going to hang out with Spanish speakers. And, you know, yeah. there's very much of that, like segregation in the sense, I guess is, is, is the, you know, Hey, the Latins are with the Latins, the, the white dudes are with the white dudes. Like, it, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's good teams. You're, you're able to kind of mesh it as close as possible, Yeah, but everybody's on different parts of their life in college. You're 18 through 22 yeah. And you're just trying to come together to play and, and like maybe make something of yourself, get an education, but you're, you're con you all, you're just really with each other. You're hanging out with each other in the study hall and the eating and, you know, party, you actually hang out with each other. And it's like, when you get to the pros, it's very, it's very different. Yeah. A job. Now, it really is a job. Yeah. Okay. So it's treated very differently in that sense. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you the guys that are still vulnerable or I would guess say innocent to understanding that it's a job mm -hmm. will learn one way or another. I learned it real quick when yeah. I played the second half hurt thinking that I was doing something for the organization because I was fighting through it, you know, like fighting through it. I, I, these guys got my back. I got their back and I'm going to push through it. They know what I'm going through. I was getting taped every day on my hamstring, like, like, Base like ace bandage wrapped around my hip and my hamstring so that I could help out. And when it came down to it, they released me after that season. And it was like, wait a second, you guys knew what I was struggling with, and that's why my numbers ended up where they were at. But it's a business, and so they see the numbers on paper and go, "Well, next guy's up; he's five years younger." Hmm. You learn it's a business. Yeah. I uh, I saw a quote from, or I heard Josh Donaldson drop a line that said, "This isn't the tri league. This is the the get stuff done league." And that, I mean, that kind of resonated with me because it's like that makes it seem like more of a business. That makes it seem like, I mean, it is a business. is It's a job. Get your job done. That's it. And it's 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 not only is it a job and get your job done, but this is what I learned too. Is like. You don't think that that general manager is getting heat because your shortstop, your star shortstop's not putting it up. And so you're paying this guy money. So now, now I'm the GM and I'm like, oh, yeah, I made this decision. And well, maybe we can trade this guy. Maybe we can bring in somebody else because I don't want to have to deal with the, me getting my job speculated because of a decision I made. Like there's a lot of different things that go on. And when people are like, oh, why is he holding out for $100,000 more? Well, Literally, teams will keep guys, and you've seen this, guys in the minor leagues yeah, past a certain time so they don't have to pay them a year in advance. So although the season starts and you're like, dude, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should be on this team from day one. And like, oh, yep. well, he's got to work on defense and blah, 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 blah. Goes down the minor leagues. Once that date reaches a certain point where it's like, okay, he's no longer able to go to arbitration, which means now you make more money. Now it's instead of his second year, his third year, let's call it May 25th. That's the cutoff. May 26th, he gets called up and they're like, oh, his defense is good. And you're like, no, you just wanted to save that extra year of control and, and paying him the league minimum. Yeah. And so when you're talking about that, that could be your first year of arbitration. You can go from making half a million dollars to $10 million. Yeah. And so wasn't it Chris Bryant? Was it Chris Bryant or Anthony yeah. Rizzo that actually won that? dispute i i that said they did service time manipulation well i i chris bryant might have been it because chris bryant was the guy that everybody was like hey make this team and they sent him down and then it's like yeah. he then after the date oh he he miraculously in a month and a half oh now he's his defense is perfect and everything is ready to go no everybody knows what it's done but on the flip side if you're a team management and i say hey you have vlad guerrero for six more years or five more years which one are you going to take you're going to take the six yeah. So they're going to manipulate it. 
So would there just be an argument to change the the ruling on that to make it the beginning of the season as opposed to like six weeks into the season? Of course, but then you think about this: so you're if you're an owner, are you gonna? That's why yeah. the, the CBA is about to come up, right? This is negotiations yeah. are about to happen. So yeah. when you talk about give and take, they're gonna say, okay, yeah, well, we'll change that, no problem. Now let's put a salary cap. I'm like, oh no, we're not gonna do a salary cap. Well, <laughs> no, you know, so it's like, yeah. That's the, the give and take of – and baseball is really the only sport that's never given in, if you think about it, because it's the only team with – it's only sport without a quote-unquote salary cap. We have – they have the luxury tax, which over yeah. which kind of gives you a little bit of a salary cap, but it's not. Yeah. Like, if teams are going to spend money, they're going to spend money, and they'll pay this the luxury tax after the fact. Exactly. But, again, when you start to – when you start to go like, oh, well – why can't let's make the arbitration thing different? Like, okay, I'm all right. Well, if I'm going to have to pay him $10 million as opposed to 560, the league minimum, well then let's talk about other things that I want. Uh, I want more revenue sharing or let's add more playoff teams because that's where owners yeah. make money, right? Like this is the, the crazy part of what the business side. Mm-hmm. The, the business side of sports is that could be a whole podcast in itself. That probably is. <laughs> Well, I mean, it is because it's people don't realize all the little things, the manipulations and things that go on. And yeah, it's it's just part of the again, when you learn as a player that it's a business and you learn that quick, then you're in a better spot. Because think about all the guys that learn the hard way of that. It's a business. A lot of a lot of guys do. Yeah. Now, one thing you said before was. Uh, you know, the Spanish speaking guys hang out with Spanish speaking guys and the English speaking guys as a catcher, you got to be able to communicate with everybody, but you're, you're a Spanish speaking guy. Mm -hmm. Did you find that that really helped you communicate with, with all the players on the field? And do you see guys like trying to learn more in other languages just to, to try to communicate better or like what goes on there? Well, yeah, for me, it was obviously a huge advantage because, you know, I would be able to talk to everybody and, and really, Mm -hmm. In baseball, majority are English and Spanish speakers. You might have the, you know, a Korean or you might have a Japanese guy. And that might be where you have a translator. But other than that, really, I was able to, you know, talk to everybody. Sometimes it was awkward because I was having to translate in situations that I did not want to translate in. Like a manager calling in somebody and saying stuff to a Spanish guy and the Spanish guy saying things back to the manager and I would have to like change what he was saying. Cause I knew if I said what he said, wasn't a good situation. Like I, you know, like little things yeah. like that, but I will say this, the Marlins have done a good job and I'm sure that other organizations do this, but the Marlins have done a real good job of, cause when you were a Spanish player and you didn't, and you didn't speak English, you had to take English class. Yeah. Right. They, they made Spanish players take English class, but if you were an English speaker, and you didn't speak Spanish, it was it just is what it is. Yeah. So now the Marlins make both of them take classes. English, oh. learn Spanish. Spanish, learn English, which I think is great because then not only does it help them out as human beings, as as, as yeah. really being able to make, the I guess, a, a world a better place where you can have conversations with multiple people. Also, you're working with these guys. And so – why not have each other understand each other? Cause that's a big, that's a big part of the game of, you know, you really don't have that in, in any other sport as far as like the NFL or the NBA, maybe in hockey a little bit more because you have different, you know, players from all, you know, all over the world, but in baseball, mm-hmm. I mean, half the league, more than half the league is Spanish and more than half, you know, then, so you have to have those conversations because if you're with those guys every day, how are you, how are you not going to, make everybody around you better yeah does that make the uh i mean when you were when you're out there did it make the spanish-speaking guys feel more comfortable knowing that you you had a grasp on things oh i'm sure i'm sure it did you know you would just being able to have those conversations and you can go out there and talk to them Mm -hmm. and so for sure it makes it more comfortable but it's just it's it's one of those things that again i i applaud the marlins because the marlins have and I don't know if other organizations do or don't do it, but they've been one of the first ones to go like, Hey, English speakers need to learn some Spanish too. Like need to learn, 
like their culture because yeah. that I think that's where there's a big divide is when guys would, you know, you thought you think about it in the clubhouse, all TVs are English. Yeah. You know, the, everything else is in English in general. And some of them don't know what the heck's going on. And yeah. um, so that's not easy. And then think about it. The biggest fights in clubhouse are over music. Like, man, I don't want to listen to this music. Well, what about our music? What about this music? Like, Little things like that that really do make a difference and can like separate a team. Yeah, who gets to pick the music? Usually the veteran. But when I was a rookie, they you know this was back when iPods, which is kind of funny even now. Thinking <laughs> I'm, I'm like, dang man, I'm getting old. But iPods, they had me when I was a rookie go to everybody and say, hey, what kind of music do you want? What kind of music do you want? What kind of music do you want? And make a playlist and just shuffle it so that if it was Spanish or country or rock or rap or whatever. Like it would just, you know, shuffle around to what people wanted because, you know, there was a lot of times where even on, on like heated exchanges of like, Hey, turn that music down. I don't want to hear it anymore. Oh, make me come and turn it down. Like, like stuff like that, that was happening, which. Sounds you know, like it's out of a movie. Yeah. It's, I mean, but it's, it's dumb, but it is, it is, you know. Yeah. And some teams, some teams, the starting pitcher gets to decide what the, the music is that day, right? So you okay. come into the clubhouse if you're starting and you like a certain kind of music, that's the music that's on for that day. If I'm starting and there's I like a certain kind of music, that's the music that's on because it's your one day to, to yeah. play. Okay. Now you're a position player, you're a catcher, but I was reading the stats and you have one inning of pitching on the mound. What was that like stepping onto a professional mound? Now it's a bit of a blowout game. Yeah, but as a catcher, what was it like to step? You know, you're in the center of the field. You, you, not that you're not when you're a hitter, but it's just that isolating. Like you're the one guy, and that's not your thing. What was that like? Honestly, I loved it because you know I hadn't pitched since I was 12 years old, and then all of a sudden I'm pitching and I'm running out of a major league bullpen, running onto a major league mound, and I was like, it doesn't matter if I suck. This is awesome. Like, yeah. no one, you know, you're just kind of trying to save the bullpen. And what the funniest thing about this, and I tell this to everybody, is like, imagine I had been a catcher my entire career, right? Yeah. So I've only looked one way my entire career. So if you think about it, my my vantage has always been to a big part of the field, center field. The, yeah. When I was standing on the mound, I was like, holy crap, this thing looks big because it was like close, tall, and it was a view that I had never had before. <laughs> So I'm sitting here going like, holy smokes, man, this stadium's a lot bigger than I even realized it. Like yeah. you, you start to realize like how big it is because as a catcher, you, it's really always just open. You never really yeah. have any you, kind of that, that, that view. You're looking at the familiar of all the, you know, the bases and the position players and the wall. Yeah. And then you turn around, you're like, here it's yeah. like batter fans, stadium and you're like and then all i can think is like please don't hit it back at me like i just don't want to get hit. <laughs> you guys can hit the ball everywhere but just don't hit it back at me yeah the guy and then as a hitter in that situation like there's no win like you hit a home run you look like the bad guy yeah, yeah. you strike out you're like why'd you strike out to that guy yeah it's it's i always tell people like when they're like oh he just got he just got that inning out and i'm like that's because literally it's the worst at bat ever for a hitter like if you hit the ball first pitch that he throws you hit it and you put it in play you're and you run and you're out you're like thank god i don't because if you walk it's like dude you just walked against a freaking position player you get you hit a home run like you said it's like dude what the heck i can't believe you did that if you strike out everybody's laughing so it's like yeah literally when i would face those guys i was like swinging the first pitch hit a ground ball run the first base perfect i'm out I, I, I'm, I'm happy yeah <laughs> reminds me like i know this is going to go a little bit deep for some people listening to this podcast, but the uh, Freddie Freeman, Anthony Rizzo oh, strikeout. Yeah. Yeah. That was Anthony Rizzo's first baseman, and he struck out Freddie Freeman. Who's, the Hall was, of Fame. Is he a, yeah. <laughs> and it was just, these guys are just laughing on the field. They know what's going on. Yeah. And they're just, they're well, having a good time with it. Yeah, that's the fun part of it, right? So yeah. it's like, I mean, and, and if there's a position player on the mound, one team or the other is getting their ass kicked. So, yeah. It's kind of the way it's like, okay, well, that's that's you're at that point in the game. Yeah. There's only one exception to that right now. And that's Shohei Otani. Well, yeah, well, 
that's, that's not, yeah that's not fun for anybody <laughs> no all right on that note i want to thank you jp i really appreciate your time i really appreciate this super insightful and I'm, i hope some people are able to uh open up a little bit after hearing your experiences and and some of the things you've dealt with in your career cool man well i appreciate it and uh thank you for having me and again i hope i hope that if anybody does get to watch this or hear this or however it may be like ask for help like you said that's that's huge because you're not alone that's the one thing i tell people like man you're literally not alone awesome all right jp uh, actually before we go where can everybody find you i got your socials coming up here but where can they find you other than uh there well i mean twitter instagram um you know you know this some people will send me messages i don't get to answer all of them but there's some that i will and we've you know, have conversations. So, I mean, again, that's pretty much it. Other than that, um, if you see me on the street, just say hi. <laughs> Check out the Marlins broadcast next season. Yep. I mean, you can see me on there too. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot, JP. I appreciate your time. We'll talk Hi, right, Justin. With the Wadproof Pro Experience, you'll get instant access to training programs from some of the best coaches on the planet. From full training programs in the gym and at home to movement-specific programs for weightlifting, gymnastics, engine, endurance, rowing, and more. We have a program that is designed for your needs, whether you are a beginner or a pro. Every training session introduces a series of questions. Am I happy with my performance? Where could I have gone faster? When will I be ready to go again? For Wadproof Pro athletes, also this question. What can I learn from that workout? With a Wadproof Pro subscription, you gain access to a complete training toolbox. From a full-featured exercise log, to side-by-side -side comparisons, to the ability to record your heart rate right alongside your rounds and reps. You have at your fingertips everything you need to learn, to make progress, and to go into tomorrow's training more prepared than today's. The best athletes are the best students. And with your Wadproof Pro subscription, you will have in your pocket the education you need to elevate your training and uncover the many lessons that every single workout offers you. Subscribe today so you can get better tomorrow.